Well, this morning uh, is a treat uh, for us. We have, we have a guest speaker uh, this morning. Uh, a handful of months ago, uh, Larissa and I and the boys had an opportunity to serve um, at an event that was hosted by We See You San Diego. And that event was throwing a, it was throwing a party um, for an organization through Olive, Gre Olive Crest and um, Safe Families. Um, and at that event, we got the opportunity to meet Missy and Jacob, and it was just a real uh, treat to get to know them and to hear the heartbeat of Olive, Olive Crest and, and their own heartbeats uh, to care for families in need. And then, um, I believe it was after that, that then we then hosted uh, an opportunity here amongst our church where we were gathering toys that we would be bringing um, to one of their locations um, in downtown San Diego, and so then getting an opportunity to visit the offices there and then hear a bit more about uh, what Olive Crest and Safe Families are up to. And um, as we were dreaming and thinking about this sermon series um, and connecting with Missy, we just thought how great it would be to hear her talk about biblical hospitality. Um, what is, and the Bible explores that theme of hospitality and thinking about an organization that is just all built upon the idea of hosting people um, under the banner of Jesus's love, we just thought then that Missy it would be a really fun um, and just unique morning uh, for us. So uh, if you guys would welcome Missy as she comes up here uh, to bring the word this morning. Bell, um, and I am the programs director of an organization called Olive Crest, um, where we believe in transforming the lives of at-risk youth through the healing power of God, family, and community. Uh, so we find families for children who are in the foster care system, as well as families who can provide short-term homes for children whose families are in crisis through our Strong Families program. Um, and I am so excited to share with you today about biblical hospitality. Uh, and I, I'm sure that scares maybe some of you in here because I just men mentioned foster care. Uh, but I promise there's no photos of children in the lobby waiting for you. Um, we are just going to dive into the heart of God and what he feels and believes about biblical hospitality. Um, and so before we do that, let's go ahead and pray, shall we? Dear Jesus, God, you are so good. Lord, we are just so thankful for you this morning. God, we're thankful um, for Thanksgiving. We're thankful that you provide for us through our food and our meals. And God, we're just so grateful and thankful for this community of saints. Um, so Lord, as we dive into your word, would you remind us of your spirit here amongst us? Uh, would you illuminate the scripture. God, would you open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to what you would have for us this morning. So God, uh, be near, um, help us in your wisdom, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so why do I care so much about biblical hospitality? Well, um, some could say that it was biblical hospitality that changed my life. Uh, so um, up here on the screen is going to be a picture of my family. Um, that's my mom. My dad's a really great early 90s photo. Um, and that's my brother. 
and my cute little dog Chelsea, and that's me wrapped up in a bundle. Um, at this time, my mom and dad were living in the Bay Area. Uh, my dad recently had transitioned out of the military army, sorry to say, in a Navy town, um, and my mom was a NICU nurse. And it was a normal day, just kind of actually like today, about 31 years ago, who's counting? And uh, they, they were waking up, and my dad had recently been laid off, so he was still in bed, and my mom um, was getting ready for her shift at the hospital. Um, and so she got in her car, and she made her way to the hospital. Um, she entered an elevator and went to the third floor. And as she was clocking in, her charge nurse was there. Um, and that means it, it, essentially her boss for the floor, her charge nurse. And um, as she was clocking in, the nurse came up to her and said, Diane, there's a baby here. Uh, you see, my mom and my dad um, were looking to expand their family through adoption. They had experienced infertility, and they were looking to welcome another little one into their homes. And back in that day, um, as I think it should still be today, but they told everyone they were looking to adopt. They were looking for prayer. They were looking for support. And so everybody in their community knew that they were looking to adopt. And so when my biological mother entered that hospital on that morning, and um, she hadn't made a plan for me. She knew she wasn't able, because of the experiences in her life, to um, keep me. So when she was there and looking for another option, um, the charge nurse who knew who to call. And so when my mom said, Diane, there's a baby here, what she was communicating to my mom was that there's a baby here that's going to be put up for adoption. And so the charge nurse gave her all the information that she knew. And she looked at my mom and she said, well, um, what do you, you want to do? And my mom looked at her and she said, well, uh, call my husband. And so after that phone call, she made her way down. She got back on that elevator. She made herself wait, her, made the way down to the second floor. And um, at this point, she says, um, she, my mom always says, I think I saw an angel because my mom knew all of the nurses, she says. And this nurse she didn't know and she went up to and she said, I hear there's a baby here. And that nurse took her hand and said, well, let me lead you to her. And so this nurse led my mom into the hospital where she sat down with my biological mother. And 15 minutes later, I became a Nickerson. So some could say that biblical hospitality changed my life. God placed me in a family that knew him and could raise me in the ways of the Lord. And defined hospitality is the love of strangers. And I was a stranger to my family and my family pursued me and loved me. And so I hope that by the end of our time together this morning, you can discern, maybe the Lord would lead you um, to see how God is leading you and your family or you to extend hospitality to others and how you might change someone's life because of the radical hospitality you extend to them. So we're going to be diving into Romans 12, 1 through 13 today. Um, so you can go ahead and get out your phone and look it up on the Bible app or open up that passage in front of you. Um, but before we dive in, we're going to be first looking at the first 12 chapters of Romans. Um, so let's go ahead and do that because it sets the stage for Romans 12. So in Romans 3, Paul shares where we stood with God, sinners in desperate need of a Savior. In Romans 6, we learn that the wages, the consequences of our sin was death. 
but that the gift of God is eternal life. In Romans 5 shares that while we were sinners, God still loved us. And that is going to be crucial in our understanding for us in regards to biblical hospitality. Because again, while we were sinners, God still loved us. And so in Romans 10, it shows that should we confess with our mouths and believe with our hearts that Jesus is Lord, then we receive the unmerited, unearned gift of Christ's love and relationship in our life. So then we conclude with jumping back to Romans 8 where it says, well, where Paul says that there is no more condemnation or shame since the love of Christ dwells in our lives. And that essentially is the Spark Notes version of the cornerstone of our faith, or as theologians like to call that justification. Um, so if you want to sound cool and impressive next time talking, you can talk about justification, a really long word, to describe how that while we were sinners, God still loved us and rescued and redeemed us from our sin. And all of that, the acknowledgement of sin, the confession of our mouth, the eternal justification, all of that is God's mercy on our lives, right? Because we are so undeserving. We are so undeserving of a God that infinitely loves us, infinitely cares for us, a God that allows us to worship him, a God that wants to give us the desires of our heart, a God that is kind, he's caring, he's good, and he's true. All of that is a great mercy on our lives. And sometimes I think we forget that, that we don't deserve that, but because of Christ's work in our lives, um, we get to respond to that. Um, and we respond to God's mercy in our lives in worship and through worship. And un until we understand his mercy, until we get that in our bones, we're unable to extend that same mercy towards others. So David Platt, um, he's a preacher on the East Coast, says this, we exalt God's mercy in worship then we express God's mercy in community. Our vertical relationship with God has a direct effect on our horizontal relationships with one another. And uh, you're probably thinking, I thought this sermon was about biblical hospitality, so like, why did I just hear the Romans road and like, where are we going with this? Um, it's because we're unable to do it by ourselves. We're unable to extend a love to others that we do not understand in our core. And so Romans 12, the passage we are going to be in this morning, it first says this, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We are in relationship with God, offering ourselves up in worship first. We are getting our relationship with God right first, asking for forgiveness, communing with him, receiving his mercies, and expressing our love back to him first. We're unable to say to others, receive this gift, this love, this care, if we have not first received that from God. Which brings us to our first point. What we receive from God, we extend to others. When we have received that love, that care, we extend it towards others. This is the cornerstone of hospitality. And Jason Johnson, who's a thought leader in uh, the foster world, foster to adopt world, says it this way. The same hands that extend their hands in worship cannot be the same hands that push people away. It's the relationship with God that makes us able to welcome others in. 
So back to Romans 12, 2. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is Paul positioning us for the rest of the passage. It's essentially Paul saying, listen, what we're about to discuss, like what we're about to dive into, it's not going to look or feel like anything you experience in this world. And so keep your mind on things above. Or keep the mind, keep your mind on your word, on, your, on the holy scriptures. Be transformed by it. Let it lead you and guide you because God requires you to stay in his kingdom, fixated on the things that do not align with his world. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Wash over your mind. Fill up your cup to overflowing so that God might be shown to the world. Uh, because let's, let's just be honest. Hospitality is foreign to the world today. What we're doing in here is foreign to the world today. Um, all of Crest, the nonprofit I work for, which I shared with you guys about, um, we have two programs. And one is foster care, and then one is strong families. And uh, we draw families out of isolation and into relationship. Um, host families provide short-term emergency care to children whose families are in crisis. So for one night, up to 90 days, a host family opens their home so that a mom can take her next best step. Um, and that could look like a mom needing hospitalization. It could look like a mom going to rehab or securing housing. Um, and our host families do this without any financial compensation and all out of the understanding of God's mercy in their lives and wanting to extend that to others. Um, so when a mom calls our hotline, we mobilize really quickly because we know that they're calling our hotline because they're in crisis, right? And um, so we go to meet her, with her and we listen to her and we go through uh, paperwork and of course explaining to her what our program is. And um, one mom we met, um, she had been uh, we had met her in her hospital room, uh, but before that hospital room, she had been laying on her bathroom floor at home for three hours, figuring out what she was going to do because she was in extreme pain. She knew she was going to be needing um, emergency care, but she also knew that she had a teenage son, and she had no place for her teenage son to go. And I would imagine, I would hope that most of us in here, if we got into a crisis or a medical crisis like that, we would have at least one person to call, right? I would think most of us in here maybe have five people to call, right? But this single mom had no one to call in her life to care for her son. And she also knew that if she went into the hospital with no place for her son to go, that son would end up in foster care. That's what happens to women who enter the hospital with their children with nowhere for them, no one to call, nowhere for them to go. They end up in foster care. And once you're in foster care, it's hard to get out. It's not like an overnight stay. Um, so we were sitting with her in her hospital room as she's hooked up to all sorts of monitors. Um, and we're explaining to her what our program is, how we have host families, how they go, they are screened, vetted and approved, and they want to care for her son. And, uh, and she said, okay, but, but like how much? <laughs> like how much here? And, and we got to share with her, no, it's free. It's, it's, it's a free service. And, 
at this point when we share with mothers that there are people in San Diego who want to care for their children with nothing in return, they always cry. Because they don't have a paradigm. They don't have a reality where that would be true. Right? And uh, she knew that by her kid, by her teenage boy being in a host family home, she could rest well and recover. And she would know that her child was safe. And most importantly, that as soon as she was out of that hospital room, she would be reunited with him. And um, it's not uncommon. That's not an uncommon response for moms. Because they did nothing to earn strangers caring for them, right? She's laying in the hospital room. Or we have mothers that were meeting in a park because that's where they stayed the night before. And they didn't do anything to receive this love and this care from strangers. But as Christ followers, opening their home because of their hearts have been renewed by him, that is their response to Christ in their lives. So let's continue in verse 3. It says this, For through the grace given to me, once again, that nod to the undeserved work of Christ in our lives, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allowed, allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So God has given each and every one of us different gifts and different skills and functions to bless each other here as a community of believers um, and also those outside of these walls. I mean, I think it's even insofar great at your craft event that you're having on December 3rd. There's going to be a Disneyland raffle. And for some of us in this room, we can afford Disneyland tickets. We just bought Disneyland tickets yesterday. We can barely afford, but we can afford, right? But it's this community of believers that's providing a glimpse of magic in Disneyland tickets, right? And I would imagine that's because some of us in here have the gifts and ability to give. So we all have different gifts. We all have different skills. And Paul goes on to list some of those different skills, right, which was faith, service, teaching, exhortation, leadership, um, calling out of sin, generosity, mercy. These are all the gifts that God has given each and every one of us, uh, characteristics that he has woven in our person. He has woven in our being. And it leads us to our second point. The quality of our gifting depends on the obedience to our calling. Um, I, again, I shared part of what I do is help process families to open their home to vulnerable children. Um, and I also get to help communities wrap around those that do. And we say everybody can do something, so what's your something? So if you can't open your home, maybe you can support those that do. And so... Um, Part of what I do is mobilizing volunteers around those families, and we call them communities of care or care communities. 
Uh, so volunteers help with emotional, spiritual, or tangible support. And that's actually a reflection of these verses. Um, God has blessed some, of, some volunteers with financial resources, and so they help with buying clothes because our kids come into our care with nothing, right? So some help buy clothes, um, and, or some help buy grocery gift cards because I don't know if you're aware, inflation is real, and when you add three hungry boys' mouths to your family, your grocery bill is going to skyrocket, right? Others have the gift of faith, and they text Bible verses to our host or foster families. Um, or others call with a prayer. Um, about a year ago, when I was sharing about care communities, um, there was a woman there, and um, at the end when I asked for questions, um, she raised her hand, and so I said, yes, my dear, um, what question do you have? And she said, oh, I don't have a question so much as I just want to say, I was a foster mom 20 years ago. And I went, oh, wow, thank you so much for that and, and for being a part of caring for children. Um, and she said, what I would have done for someone to give me a call once a week and said, hey, how are you doing? That would have made all of the difference for me. And I had just talked about that tangible support. I had talked about emotional support. But what she wanted and what she could articulate was that spiritual support of someone calling and saying, hey, I see you. Hey, how's it going? That would have made all the difference for her. Because life can be hard, right? And I don't, I don't need to list the ways that life can be hard. I'm sure everybody in here can think of a few. Um, and these all seem to get magnified during the holidays, if, if I'm right. Um, a low bank account, a strained relationship with someone who you are destined to sit right next to at the Thanksgiving meal. Um, but did you know that the gift that God has given you can alleviate and encourage others and can alleviate that weight that you might feel during the holidays? That's the gift of hospitality. Your sympathetic words may mean some, someone feels seen like that foster mom. Or your leadership of the Thanksgiving meal might mean a burden lifted from the matriarch or the patriarch of the family. Though I would suggest asking them first, don't just like, you know, make yourself available. Um, God has gifted each and every one of us with skills and ways to pursue the love of strangers. And what co really comes easy to you is not going to be what comes easy to the person sitting next to you or to your spouse or to your mother or to your best friend. Um, and maybe you're in here and you're like hearing all, me share all of these things and you're like, Missy, this is great but I've never cared for a child, or I've never tried to teach, or I've never given extravagantly, or, um, or I don't even honestly know what gifts I have. And I have to say, the only way you figure out the gifts that you have is by trying, which is not radical, right? But you have to try in order to see where God is meeting you, and you have to try to see where God has woven that into yourself because you do have gifts. Russell Moore, a theologian, says this, in the New Testament, we don't find our gift through self-examination and introspection and then find ways to ex express it. Instead, we love one another, serve one another, help one another, and in so doing, we see how God has equipped us to do so. 
The second point was the quality of your gifting depends on the obedience of your calling. And when I say the quality of, our, of your gifting, I'm not trying to sh like share a prosperity gospel kind of thing, right? But what I'm trying to say is that the quality of your gifting becomes better and more refined, and dare I say easier, the more you do it. Another way to say better is frequent. How frequent? How frequently are you using your gifts? How rusty are you at the things that God has given you because you feel like there is no worth or merit to them, right? God didn't give us gifts to set them aside. And he didn't give us gifts and then for us to respond and go, well, that's not good enough. He gave us gifts so that others could know him. And we have to be obedient to that calling on our lives, which is to love God and to love our neighbors. And we use calling frequently, right? We use calling frequently. Our job is our calling, our family is our calling. And what I wanna focus on this morning that our calling is to love God and love your neighbors. That is your calling. And have you been using your gifts to do those two things? So the quality of our gifting depends on the quality on your life. And again, if you don't know what your gift is, Paul gave you a list and he gave you a starting point. And if you weren't able to identify one of those, pick one this week and just try it, right? Just try, some, try serving someone at your office. Uh, or maybe you know a single mom and you don't know what her Thanksgiving table is going to look like. So out of the abundance of generosity, you're gonna try that this week and you're gonna give her a gift card to Vons. Or maybe you know that maybe you have the gift of leading and you wanna start a ministry here to help lead faith community and caring for vulnerable children. I don't know, I don't know what the gifts are, but you could pick one and you could try it. And as you do these things, as you use your gifts, you are pursuing hospitality. You are revealing the heart and mercy of God through expressing your love for others who did nothing to earn it. You are living out a radical, counter-cultural faith that will make others take note and pause and question if there's a God, maybe because of the use of your gifts. And the more you do it, the easier it'll be. Um, okay, back to the text. It says, verse nine, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And Paul doesn't differentiate here. He doesn't say only be devoted to your best friends or only be devoted to your great boss, but like your super boss who you could just do without, don't be devoted to him, right? No, he says be devoted to one another in brotherly love, full stop. And my first response, my flesh, is Paul, it's not that easy, bud. It is just not that easy to love everyone. And maybe you guys are much holier in here in this room than me, but that is my first response. And I wanna ask Paul, like, are you sure? Like, are you positive that we have to love everyone and honor everyone? Because I am pretty sure there are people or a group of people that, is, that God is not calling me to love them. And um, I call these people in my life EGRs, extra grace required. 
But here's the thing. If I can't love the EGRs in my life, those that require that extra grace, how am I going to love those that not only irk me, but also have seemingly have nothing to offer me, right? And, and Jesus says something about this in Luke 14, 12. He, he's sharing with the Pharisees, which is a group of religious people. And he says to them, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. Jesus says, your friends, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. So those all can add to your life in some way, right? But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus was very, very clear in the Bible who should be the recipients of our hospitality, of our love. And it's who author Nicholas Wolterstorff coined, my favorite last name, coined as the quartet of the vulnerable, which is the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, and the poor. And in fact, the New Testament, um, the poor is mentioned one out of every six verses. So God cares deeply about these people and about these groups of people. And God wants us to love everyone. As Bob Goff says, everybody, always. Those that we love being in relationship and those that we don't know, those that give back to us in relationships and those who are unable to, those that can repay us for the meal through Venmo and those who can't afford it at all. And in Deuteronomy 15, 7, 8, it says, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. And I love this verse because God says, Hey, give to the poor because I first gave to you. He doesn't for a moment let them think that they conquered the lands that they were in, right? If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land, the Lord your God is giving you. It's all God's. It's all God's anyways. And when you give your time, your money, your, well, your days, you're giving what God has already given you. And we've reviewed why we should be hospitable, but maybe let's take a second at why we don't or why we aren't, right? Because I can't tell you to be hospitable and you're like, that's great, but I have all of these fears, right? I think it's a natural response to be fearful. So that self-preservation kicks in, right? Um, but as I was getting ready for this week's sermon, um, it was really interesting because um, I was doing my research and I was going back into the ancient ways of hospitality and you could really get yourself into a, um, a, dark, a black hole there of information. But um, it was interesting because in the ancient times, people were dependent on the hospitality of others. Now, if we wanted to go up to, let's say, L.A., we could find a hotel in between, right? We could pay money and we could stay in a hotel and we would be fine. But in the ancient times, if someone wanted to travel, they would be dependent on somebody opening up their home. And, um, and it was a commonly held belief that a host's abundant generosity 
might neutralize a potential threat while cultivating that stranger's favor. So another way to look at this is that hospitality is disarming. In the ancient times, they had to open their home. They had to open their home to receive people, and they didn't know if it was a military threat or if it was just a good traveler on their way. We thankfully have some idea that these people are, whoever we're opening our home to is not going to be a militarized threat, right? But regardless, it still causes that fear in us. But our hospitality is disarming. It, it disarms a person from their biases. It disarms them from the slough of life that has attached to them throughout the week. Um, it disarms them and allows them to be near to you. And maybe you're not concerned about the stranger part. You're like, Beth, I love people. That's my husband. Love everyone always. Like, come on, I'm not worried about the stranger part. But maybe your fear is based in your home's structural limitations. I'm sure some of you in here are blessed with like a really comfortable home, a, a large home. Um, and if, if it's you and maybe your kids and maybe even has a guest room. Uh, but I'm sure there are people in here who come from uh, what I like to call a cozy home. <laughs> I live in a cozy home and it has room, uh, but not a whole lot extra, right? Uh, but the thing is, is if I don't get over that fear of how big my house is, then I'm never going to host when it's big enough. Because if we don't practice these things now, we're never going to practice them when we feel like it's enough. Because there's, there's always going to be bigger, right? There's always going to be better. There's always going to be a Jones that we could keep up with. And if maybe we had their pool, or maybe if we had their kitchen, then we could host. But we have to get over these man-made fears so that we can practice hospitality and practice extending Christ's love to others. In Hebrews 13, 1 through 12, 2, it says this, Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Do not neglect in opening your home because you are unsure of the size. I think in San Diego this is particularly um, poignant because we are all, we're packed in here, right? So practice it. Try it. And see how many people, that could be a fun experiment, see how many people could actually fit in your space. Because, <laughs> I know, try it. But the reason I say that is because I doubt that they're going to remember that your living room was really small, right? I bet you what they're going to remember instead is the warmth that they felt in community. I, my husband and I, we lead a community group, and um, we recently were asked if we could add a few more, and we just looked at each other and we were like, what is 14 people, you know? What is 14 people? And so we have turned every piece of furniture into a seat. <laughs> and I have not once heard from someone who has come into our home, well, I really would have preferred a lazy boy, <laughs> you know? Or I, I really would have preferred um, being a little bit more elevated, that, uh, that floor puff that you had was just too low. And it's amazing then to see how our community honors one another, right? We have two very pregnant women, very pregnant women in our community group, and they always get the couch because our community group is reflecting the love of Christ and honoring one another at the stage of life we're in. And in strong families, um, we say, if you have enough room, at your living room table to pull up a chair, 
you have enough room in your home to host a child. And I think when I first heard that, I kind of like prickled a little bit. I was like, really? Like a living room? I mean, a, t a chair compared to a bed, those are like pretty different structural, you know, pretty different size limits. Um, but for some of the kids that we serve, uh, they sleep on park benches. And a warm, safe place with four walls is going to be better than a park bench. Um, and whenever there's this um, crazy weather shift, um, I get to complain about it because I like to complain. No, I get to complain about it because it's a little inconveniencing, right? But what I think of now is the kids that um, are on the, those park benches and they need a place at the table. They need a, a corner of a couch um, to stay safe and to stay warm for the night. So let's continue in Romans 12, verse 11. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, preserving in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. And we've spent all this time together, and we're just getting to the actual hospitality part. But we needed all of that. We needed the firm foundation of Christ's worship, the utilization of our gifts to get to the meat. Um, in the Greek, those last two words of that verse, practicing hospitality, is actually pursuing the love of strangers, which is kind of an interesting phrase, uh, because how do you pursue the love of strangers? Um, well, one way Faith Community Church did that, um, which Vince referred to earlier, was that you guys collected toys um, for our office at a family justice center in San Diego called Your Safe Place. And that's a one-stop shop for survivors of domestic abuse to come and to receive all of the services that they need. And um, we're a new partner of Your Safe Place, and so we needed toys. We had a bare office, but we work with families and moms and kids, and so we needed toys. And so um, after meeting Vince and Larissa at the um, events back in the summer, um, we were talking about um, what we needed. And I have to admit, whenever somebody asks us, what do you need? I get a little weak in the knees. I'm like, oh, what do I need? <laughs> Um, I need toys. I needed toys. And so you guys, out of the kindness and the abundance of your generosity, collected those for us. And we've been able to help kids um, have something to do while we talk to their mamas. And um, so we didn't, we didn't bring you the children. We brought you the need, and you said yes, right? Um, but, but I'm confident that if I had brought you the children, you would have cared for them. Uh, there's a center, actually not too far from here, it's called Polinsky's, which is the temporary emergency shelter for children who have entered into the foster care system. And if I had brought a bus and dropped them off in front of you, in front of this church right out there, <laughs> um, I'm confident that you wouldn't have walked away, right? I'm, I'm confident that you would have gone up to that bus and you would have seen the kids who needed to be cared for and loved and nurtured, and you would have done just that. And, and sure, maybe there might have been like one or two of you, let's be honest, that would have like figured out a way to like snuck around, or maybe you would have like Ubered home. But I'm confident that most of you would have engaged, right? You would have pitched in to help. So I want you to imagine that bus of kids. But instead of that bus pulling up, you actively, what if you actively pursued the love of strangers by becoming a foster family? Or maybe you pursue wrapping around a foster family, knowing that if you do, more than 80% are likely to continue on to be a foster family for a second time. 
And on any given day, there are enough kids to fill a bus from Polinsky, and they are waiting to be welcomed into a home. Uh, one of our foster families recently got a phone call um, for an infant placed on hospice. Uh, this was a really, really unique call for a foster family. Um, the, the little one had been born, and they were not expecting um, that little one to um, stay with us. And so they called one of our foster families. We had a foster family who had fostered a lot of times, and we presented the need to them and said, this is the call that we got from the county. Would you be willing to usher this little one into the kingdom? And this foster family um, thought about it, and, and they said yes. So the foster mom went every day for five hours um, to hold this little one, rock this little one, pray over them. Um, and what she thought was going to be ushering her into the kingdom. And um, after a month, the doctors met with this foster mom and said, I don't know what happened here, but that little one is no longer going to die. That little one is going to stay on this side of eternity. And that, that little one had been nurtured from death to life. And the, the foster mom, when she was going through that foster application process, that is not the assignment she would have thought of, right? That's not the assignment we would have thought for her. But she practiced biblical hospitality. She pursued the love of strangers. She was willing to give up her time to stay with this little one and care for her. And it, that made all of the difference in this little one's life. She was a stranger to that experience. And she was a stranger to that medical scenario. And, but she was there, day in and day out. And it changed that baby's life. So how do you actively pursue the love of strangers? You choose to put yourself amongst those who don't know, and who you don't know, and in scenarios that you are not familiar with. And as San Diegans, we avoid this, if we're honest, right? We love um, what we know. Like, we love our local beach, right? We have that one that we go to every, every time. Or we love our Padres jersey, because my Padres jersey is going to be better than the new Padres jersey, right? We even have, like, our preferred chairs in this sanctuary, if I'm being honest, right? And I'm sure when this sanctuary was turned into table rounds and chairs, some of you would have been like, wait, what happened, <laughs> right? Because we, we pursue our comfort. And for some of you, Pursuing the love of strangers is not going to be look like opening your home, right? For some of you, it's going to be finding a different seat in this sanctuary to getting to know a stranger in your community. But it could also look like putting yourself in places with people you don't know because Jesus is calling you there. So as we conclude our time together, I want to encourage you to thank God this week for his incredible mercies in our life. Let your Thanksgiving dinner table be a reminder of his goodness in your life. Ask him this week to make you bold and courageous as you pursue loving strangers. Ask the Holy Spirit to move you in action towards them so that others may know him. And maybe there's someone that he wants you to ask to have over for Thanksgiving hospitality is the pursuit of loving strangers. So may this holiday season be a reflection of the ultimate pursuit of Christ for us.
in our pursuit of others. If you want to learn more, if something today I shared touched you about caring for vulnerable children, um, you can use that QR code. We also will have response cards um, at, during our time of questions because we have a few more questions to talk about. Um, but I'm so thankful and grateful for being here today. And I also want to recognize that I got to share my story at the very beginning, but there also might be those in here who have been touched by foster care or adoption or caring for vulnerable children. And I just want to say that God sees you and he loves you and he's actively pursuing you. Um, so let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, you are so good. God, your mercies are unending. And I am just amazed and in awe that you would pursue me, that you would pursue us because of your great love. So God, would you help fill our cups to overflow? Would you help us figure out what our gifts are in this coming week and month? God, would you make us bold as we use those gifts and may it all be honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.